Well, this morning we're continuing a series through the Gospel of John, a title, a series we've entitled Believe, in which we have been um, getting to the heart of John's purpose in writing this book, which was that we may believe in the Son of God and find life in His name. And so our hopes is that you would find life in Jesus as we come and experience him through the pages of his word. And so this morning we're going to pick up in John chapter 8, starting in verse 12. And so I want to invite you to turn there if you have a Bible before you. Don't worry if you don't. It will be on the screens behind me. And I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. This is one of the things that we do as a sign of honor as we come to his most gracious and holy word. And so hear now the word of our Lord. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself, and your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from and where I'm going. For you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about myself. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. The Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, years ago, I was leading a group on a caving trip, and our, our guide was skillfully navigating us through the, the tunnels, the holes, and the crevices. And we, after hours and hours, we finally made it to this large opening, and we took a rest. And he invited us in that moment to go and to grab our flashlights. He says, one by one, I want you all to turn them off. And when that last flashlight went off, it was a bit unnerving. It was a darkness unlike any darkness I'd ever experienced. I literally could not even see my hand an inch in front of my face. And the thought occurred to me in that moment, what would happen if our lights actually did fail us? I mean, I'm a big guy, and those were some small little corners, and, and we barely made it through with the light. 
there would be no way of us getting home. If our lights went out, we'd have no hope. You see, as we go through life, we navigate some dark tunnels, some dark crevices. And along the way, we often find some lights that help us to make our way. They get us through the day, they get us through life. And eventually, we all will come to this large, dark unknown. And the question will be, what light will be left? You see, whatever thing that you're banking on to navigate through life, the lesser things, whether it's our, our physical strength, our looks, our abilities, our accolades, our successes, our positions, our, material, our material possessions, our resources, family and friends, whatever it is that makes and keeps you and gets you through life, inevitably all those things will fade, fail, and potentially be taken away. And what will you be left in that moment? You see, when all other lights fail, will you still have hope? And what Jesus tells this morning is in essence this. When all other lights go out, he alone can lead us to life. He alone is our hope. And I know you may not be going through a dark time right now. Many of us are in this pandemic. And some of us are in our individual hearts and our individual lives. Wherever you are in the spectrum of darkness, I pray that you, by the time you leave here this morning, would be more assured of the light or have received that light and hope for the very first time. Now, this morning we come to John chapter 8. Now, remember, we're in a section of John that is constantly alluding back to the Exodus. So even as you look to chapter 6, 7, and 8, you'll see Jesus comparing himself to the manna in the wilderness by calling himself the bread of life. He compares himself to the waters that come from the rock as he invites people to drink of him. And this morning you'll see as he connects himself to the pillar of fire as he refers to himself as the light of the world. Now, if you were here last week, you realize that the section that we taught on last week verses 753 to 811 weren't in the original manuscript. And so what it means for our study this week is that we are actually on the heels of chapter 7, verse 52. In other words, we are in the waning moments or in the days after the Feast of Tabernacles. Now remember, there were three great festivals and feasts on the Jewish calendar. There was Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was like the granddaddy of them all. It was the highlight of everyone's year. Because in the Feast of Tabernacles, they were celebrating unlike any other holiday. Um, the historians tell us that it was kind of like Christmas, um, Thanksgiving, and the family camp tr camping trip all rolled up into one. And so it would be the day that everyone would circle on their calendars. And part of this feast was a celebration of God's presence and provision in the wilderness. And so they had three main components, three main traditions that would be a part of that festival. The first would be the building of Sukkot, these small temporary shelters that they would go and camp out underneath throughout the week. And so they would lay there at night and stare up to the stars and be reminded of the experience of the Israelites as they were wandering in the wilderness. The second tradition would be the ceremony of water, the water ceremony. We talked about it three weeks ago, 
It's when the priest would go and take a pitcher down to the Pool of Siloam and carry it up to the altar, and they would pour it out on the stone steps. And this was a symbol of God's provision of water from the rock in the wilderness. And the last tradition was the tradition of the illumination of the temple courts. You see, if you're familiar with the temple grounds, you know that there was the basic temple structure, and there were these courts that surrounded it. There was the court of the Gentiles on the extreme, and there was the court of the women there in the middle, and then the court of the priest. Well, the court of the women was where all of the Israelites could gather together. It was the largest space for the Israelite community, and so that's where they had the treasury, so everyone could get their tithe in. But it's also where they had these large pillars that had these candelabras, as it were, above them, that during the feast, the young priest would rise up, fill with olive oil, and set ablaze. And you've seen this picture, you can see it, it would begin to cover all of the region around it. That every neighborhood, every backyard would be filled with its light. And this was a connection back to God's provision of a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day in the wilderness. Now, what the pillar of fire offered was three things. One, it was proof of God's presence in their midst. They were not alone in this journey. Second, it protected them from their enemies. So, so you just look back, you, you can see where it would protect them from the rear, from those who would come to um, overwhelm them. And third, it would lead God's people to the promised land. And, and so what it offered was it was a light to their world. It's interesting when you look at what historians say about this festival is that many would often refer to the celebration as the light of the world because it literally lit up their world and was a sign of their calling to be a light to the Gentile world around them. Now, um, as they see this, is that they would then celebrate because they were celebrating these three things, God's presence, his protection, and his pathway. That God was with them. God would protect them. And God would provide a way for them to the pathway. And so what this festival served was a respite from their everyday life. Remember, Israel at this point in the first century is an oppressed people. That they are under the rule and dominion of the Roman Empire. And as great as the Roman Empire was with their um, uh, roads and, and, and other ingenuities that they came up with, we have to remember that they were a vicious empire. They mastered torture and death. And so for the people of God, this was this joyous celebration because they had respite from the darkness as they celebrated this light in hopes that one day Yahweh would come again to be with them, to be for them, and to bring them forth to life and freedom. That's why this celebration was so big in the eyes of the Jews. Now, we pick up this morning on the heels of of this ceremony. It's kind of like the day after Christmas. I don't know about you, but this past year, we put up our lights sooner than we ever had before. We also took them down sooner than we ever had before, because when it was done, it was done. And, and though my wife loves that day because she's like, the house is less cluttered, I inwardly like begin to like just shrivel up a little bit. The joy, the gatherings, the celebration is now done. And you've got like the Christmas time hangover. This is that moment for them. When all the lights are fading, 
Jesus stands to attention and says to the masses, I am the light of the world. Do you see what he's saying? When all other lights fail, my light still shines brightly. Now, as you can imagine, that brought some response by the crowds. That there was a little bit of opposition. Uh, N.T. Wright says this, he says, Israel was supposed to be the light of the world, but Israel was providing only darkness. If Jesus was now shining the true light into that darkness, there could only be one result, a head-on clash, and that is what we find. What's interesting is you look at an overview of this passage, there's a basic structure to it. There's a claim of Jesus, a response by the crowds, and then essentially a Q&A session. So the initial claim of Jesus is, I am the light of the world. What's the response? You're a liar. Jesus then goes and says, you know, you've got a problem. You don't understand who I am or where I come from. And he then appeals to Jewish law, saying that, well, 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 your law says that if two witnesses are there, the statement is true. Well, I'm a witness and my father is a witness. To which they respond, who's your daddy? Now, this may be a, a legitimate question. From everything I know about the crowds, especially from the religious leaders, I would say probably not. Why? I think it's a dig. Remember we talked about all of this kind of um, question swirling around Jesus' daddy throughout his life that even went through adulthood? I think it's kind of a dig. Either to dig that you really don't know who your daddy is, none of us do, or the fact that his earthly adopted father is already dead. Isn't your daddy dead? Got someone else we don't know about? It's a dig at Jesus. And so Jesus responds in kind. I love this. He doesn't just take a blow. He fights back. And so what does he say to them? He says, you wouldn't know him. Now, that doesn't seem like much to us right now, right? You're like, what's the big deal? Remember, what did these leaders and these people pride themselves on? Our religion, our obedience, and our knowledge of Yahweh. What has Jesus said? You don't know me or Yahweh. He wouldn't know him. Striking at the very sense of their righteousness. And so as you can imagine, them be fighting words. And so we come to the second claim. Jesus says, I'm going away somewhere where you cannot find me. What's the response? You're crazy. What's he going to kill himself? And so Jesus begins to expose their sin and say, you're going to die in your sins. And they ask him the question, who are you? To which Jesus responds, replies, I've already told you. In fact, it will see in a few moments, he's told them many, many times, even is hitting at it throughout this passage. So against this overview, we understand that what started it all was that initial claim. He is the light of the world. And so we want to spend the, the, the majority of our time focusing on this one sentence, I am the light of the world, and those who follow me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is hinting that he is the one and only God. I am the light of the world. Now, now in the Greek, that first two words is the words ego eimi. Now, if you recall, ego eimi is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, I am that I am. 
And one of the things we have to ask, especially in John, every time we encounter this construct, is does John mean something more than what meets the eye? Is he saying I am or is he saying I am? All right? And so clearly this is one of those moments he is pointing to the I am. In fact, it's one of seven I am statements throughout the Gospel of John. You may recall some of them. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and life. And I am the true vine. In each of these, Jesus is pointing to both his divinity and his attributes. Now, what's interesting as we come to chapter 8 is that there is a kind of I am statements in miniature. Seven times in this chapter alone, he will use that same construct. Seven times he will come and he will point to the reality that he is I am. And so I want you to imagine this for a moment. Jesus is saying over again, here's my name, here's my name, here's my name, here's my name. And what is the response? Who are you? All right, I know not all of us in this room are parents, but I think all of us have been around children, all right? And, and I love my kids. I love my kids. And, 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 and one of the things that they may do sometimes, they don't exactly listen to daddy. That I can say the same thing over and over again, and especially the one who has the least amount of years in this world may say to me after eight times saying to his face, walk away, have a second, and either forget entirely we had a conversation, or look back at me and say, what was I supposed to be doing again? And in that moment, I want to tear up my hair. I want to scream to the heavens. And you can imagine what Jesus is feeling in this moment as he's been saying, who am I? I am, I am, I am, I am. Who are you? Ugh. I'm not going to tell you again. He has been telling and showing them over and over again who he was, and they refused to receive it. You see, he is the great I am. Even as he says, I am the light, Light was one of the allusions to God himself. You think of what John says, that he is light and in him is no shadow. So he is clearly communicating that he is God in the flesh. And you must ask the question, why is this important? And the answer is this. Because if he is to be a light that will remain when all other lights go out, he has to be the source he can't be dependent upon anything else. See, only God can give you a light to light up the darkest night. Only God can give you a light that shall never fade out. I am the light of the world. He's not dependent on anything else. And thus, he is uniquely able to walk us through any darkness we face in life or death because he alone holds the power of life and death. See, that's why I believe Jesus says in verse 28 that when they have lifted up the Son of Man, then they will know that I am he. You see, you can't know and understand Jesus apart from the cross. It's in the cross where you see the great humiliation of God as he takes on the darkness like never before. And as we who know the story know, three, day, three days later, he rises victoriously, showing that he indeed has the power over darkness. He indeed has the power over death. And it's interesting that in the Greek construction, 
when it says, then you will know that I am he, what actually is said is this, then you will know ego a me. That when you see it is the Son of Man who is lifted up on that cross, when you see him glorified in that crucifixion, in there, when you perceive that, then you will know I am. You will know that he is God incarnate. In fact, I believe he alludes there to Isaiah 43 where he has a similar sentiment. See, this is why he cannot be ignored or downplayed. You see, the stakes are too high. If he alone can offer us a light when all other lights fail, we can't afford to take this for granted, to push it off to another day. Today, we must engage it. Gary Burge writes this. He says, Jesus thus cannot be an optional experience, an addendum to some religious system. He is the light. He is the life and the freedom everyone seeks. And so we see that not only is the one and only God, he is our one and only hope. He is the light of the world. You see, the context in which Jesus is saying this, remember, is when all the other lights are fading. The context is a connection to that pillar of fire by night. And what you see, those three things that it symbolizes God's presence, God's protection, and God's pathway, are being fulfilled fully in Jesus. You see, He is God's presence. If you remember how John began this gospel, he said that, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, that his God's presence was here in our midst. As you fast forward to the Great Commission, there are these bookends to this mission God has given his church. The first is a statement of God's authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. And he ends with this comfort, and lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age, that he offers us the irrevocable presence of God. Second, God's protection. Just as the pillar of fire protected God's people from their enemies, so too Jesus would protect us. In 2 Timothy we read, the Lord will rescue me from every attack and will bring me to his heavenly kingdom. He will bring us to the promised land. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. All others will let the wolves get you, but I will not. See, Jesus is your protector and your defender. And lastly, Jesus is God's pathway. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus is saying he is our only hope. He didn't say I am a light. I am a way. He said, I am the light. I am the way. I'm your only hope. The only hope for an escape from darkness. Now, darkness has many connotations. It can speak of um, the, the evil world around us. It can speak to the evil within us. It can speak to, to, to judgment and death. All these things are connotations with darkness. And when Jesus says, if you want any hope of freedom from these things, you can't run to the darkness. You can't run to lights that will fail you. You can only run to the light that will never fail you, the light that will never go out. You need to come to the source itself. And so what we find here is that Jesus saves us from the darkness both of life and death. 
Notice what he says. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, as we walk through life, we face the darkness within, around, and before us. It's interesting we look back to last week where the older people were convicted first because they were more aware of the depth of the darkness and sin within their own hearts. See, the longer you walk in life, the more you can have experience in doing dark things and having dark thoughts and and, and sinful ways and ideas. All these things are building up the case against you. You become more aware that I'm more broken than I ever imagined. And you see, Jesus says to us, when we are walking through the darkness within our very hearts, he says to us, I'm with you. As you face your sin, as you face your struggles, as you face your idolatries and face your addictions, as you face your despair and face your, 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 your depression, that what Jesus says to us as light of the world is this, you're not alone. I go with you every step along the way. As we walk out from within ourselves to the world around us, we begin to face the darkness of our circumstances. 2020 was quite a year. Darkness abounded. We see the darkness on the streets of our cities. We see darkness in the hearts of those who storm Capitol buildings. We see darkness as we see evil dictators and genocide. We see darkness over and over again. That no civilization, no people, no time in the history of the world was ever immune to the darkness around. And what Jesus says in the midst of these dark times, he says, not only am I with you, but as you walk, I am for you. That I will protect you from anything that comes your way. Jesus says later in the book of John that no one is able to take you out of my hand. You see, he is our good shepherd. And you see, as we come to the end of our lives and we face closing our eyelids for the very last time and the darkness of death and whatever lies beyond it is on our horizon, what Jesus says to us is not only am I with you, Not only am I for you, but I will make a way. I'll create the path. And so as you and I face some of the scariest darkness, we know we do not go at it alone. For he is with us, he is for us, and he will lead us home. That's what he means when he says, I am the light. That's when he says that those who follow me will not walk in darkness because he's made a way. Now, whenever I think of this, I think of that great theological work, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And uh, if you recall in the movie, uh, Indy against his will, that's a big difference between Indy and the truer and better Indy called Jesus Christ, is that, that he goes and he goes before them to take on all the darkness and the traps that lay between them and the offer of eternal life. 
And if you remember the movie, after Indy has gone through all of those traps, those who came behind him could walk through all of the dangers without fear because Indy had taken care of them. You see, as you and I walk through the darkness of life, we can walk through with confidence knowing that Jesus has taken care of everything on the road to eternal life. And for this reason that he is the one and only God and that he is our own one and only hope, we must then believe him. I mean, I don't know if you recognize as we were walking through this text, but Jesus wasn't exactly mincing words. How many times he said, y'all going to die in your sins? Do you, do you remember I said to you, y'all going to die in your sins? Not exactly PC, right? You see, Jesus understands what is at stake. In their rejection of him, he understands where this will lead. You see, when we reject Jesus, what we are saying as we navigate the, the, the dark taverns, the, 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 the dark tunnels and crevices of life is this, I'll do this on my own. And let's be honest, you got enough flashlights and batteries, you can go and do pretty well. Got enough money, got enough success, got enough looks. You can navigate the tunnels pretty well, but eventually what's going to happen? You will get to that grand opening into the dark unknown, and all those things will fade and fail you. And what will you be left as you step into the dark unknown? Answer, you'll be all alone. Imagine coming before a holy God, being asked to make account of your life. And every seeming excuse you can give for why you should be able to get to the next phase of this journey to make it home is met, but that's not true. That's not going to work. What is it like to stand before a holy and true God naked, afraid, with nothing but your soil and your sin to cover you. It's interesting when Jesus speaks of hell in Matthew 25, verse 30. He speaks of casting out the worthless servant in outer darkness, in a place where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, when we, re we reject Jesus in this life, we're saying we will reject you in the next. And so on the other side of that darkness is only the darkness, devoid of every blessing and gift that comes from God above. All that is left is the absence of God's goodness, grace, and mercy. That's why Jesus says, if you will not believe, you will die in your sins and trespasses. And as harsh as his word sounds, what you and, I, you and I must recognize is that in the warning is an invitation. Unless, unless you repent, unless you believe, you too will die in your sins. And that's not what I want for you. That's why I came for you. Would you just repent and believe? You see, the glory of what Jesus offers us and his invitation to lie of the world 
is that no matter what the darkness may hold, whatever darkness you may face, is that you're not alone. Now, some of you may remind or remember the Chilean miners who were caught 2,000 feet under the face of the earth just about 10 years ago. They said that they realized at one point there was no way out. There was no way they could do this thing in and of their own power. Their only hope was from the outside coming in. It's amazing if you hear some of the stories that there was one follower of Jesus in that group. They nicknamed him the preacher. And every day at noon, he would begin to have a time of prayer where they would plead with God to save them. And he would tell stories and quote verses that he remembered. And we're told that many of them in that pit eventually gave their lives to Jesus. Why? Because they saw that this experience was only a picture of a larger experience that they would have in the future apart from someone else coming in and rescuing them from their darkness. Someone else doing for them what they could not do for themselves. And you see, God sent his son to be amongst us. He came to come and to live for us. He came to die for us so that when we face the darkness, we don't need to go it alone. You see, for those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, when we stand on the face of the dark unknown, his light shines beside us. And as we navigate that journey from death to life after death, we don't go at it alone. And when we stand before the judgment seat, we understand that we don't stand in it naked, soiled by sin, but we stand clothed in his righteousness. And that when we stand, and if he were to ask the question, why should you go forth? Why should you go home? You can point and say, because of him. Because I am not alone. Because he has taken my place so that I would have a way. You see, no matter what darkness you face, the offer of the light of the world is this. You never need to face it alone. So I want to ask you this morning, what darkness are you facing? What do you see as you look within your own heart and struggle to make sense of? What events in your life just don't make sense, that upset you and make you mad? Events you feel that there's no way out or no way through. In those quiet moments when you're reminded of your own mortality, what are the thoughts, fears, and hopes that meet you as you stare into that horrifying truth? In this last month, I've seen a dear friend just about my age die of cancer. My mom's best friend die of cancer. This past week, uh, a beautiful, wonderful uh, mother in Jesus from our church in North Carolina die of cancer. All sober reminders that there is a day coming for each of us. There is darkness on the horizon. But what I want you to hear this morning 
is no matter what darkness you face, there's a light. And he offers himself to you right here and right now. And I want you just to take a moment and close your eyes. Invite the band up. And I want you to wrestle with your own heart. Of what darkness is scaring you right now? Where do you feel all alone? Unprotected. And fear there is no way forward. Ask yourself, is there anyone willing to be with me? Is there anyone willing to be for me? Is there anyone able and willing to make a path through this darkness? And hear Jesus say, I am. Who's willing to walk with you through the darkness? I am. Who's willing to defend you and protect you? I am. Who will make a way where there seems to be no way? I will. If this morning you've never come to a place in your life where you've believed and received this offer, I want to invite you to do so this morning. The stakes are too high. Don't ignore it, don't reject it, but receive it. Encourage you to reach out. If you're watching this online, to reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you more. If you need to talk or pray after service, please feel free to come up. Talk to me, to one of the staff members, one of the elders. This morning we come and reminded that He is good. He is gracious and He is faithful. And so, Lord, we come now to you. Repenting of our many sins and reaching out for hope. Lord, we cannot fix this. We not, cannot save ourselves. Lord, we are dependent upon you. And Lord, in this life, we will experience many dangers. We'll experience much darkness. But through it all, may you be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Know that you are with us, you're for us, and you'll lead us home. Lord, thank you. We offer this in Jesus' name.